When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thought we'd start off with the most important question of all. Mm-hmm. Obviously, kind of relating to the band's title of the name because with it being the Little Kicks, referencing that Seinfeld episode. Oh yeah, yeah. You a big sitcom guy? What's your kind of favourite sitcom you go to? Um, I, I do like Curb Enthusiasm, uh, which is obviously related to Larry David and Seinfeld and things. Um, that's probably one of my faves. I'm not, although I've not seen it in a wee while, and it's coming back, so I'm quite excited about that. The Seinfeld thing's a bit of a a ruse because it was the first drummer that gave us the name so I do know Seinfeld but I don't know it like people have asked me really in-depth questions about Seinfeld and I'm like I don't really know I just like that episode I know that one yeah it's um, quite a good episode but yeah I do like Kirby Enthusiasm it's probably my favourite yeah do you watch quite a lot of stuff like in your you spare time to wind down or you, is music something that's kind of always on your mind Um. yeah I mean I, I really like going to the cinema I don't get as much chance I used to go a lot when I was I don't live in the city so I used to go all the time I had the kind of pass you can just go and see anything and it's free and I would go to see literally anything Um, and these days it's more like I would watch like I really enjoyed that series Guilt the BBC show that was like yeah. the soundtrack was amazing so I do watch I do when I when I can watch shows and things like that I don't tend to go near your Game of Thrones and stuff because I'm like I don't have 400 hours to give away so if I'm going to get invested in something, you know, like True Detectives, great, six uh, six episodes, done, doesn't take up your whole life. Brilliant but, TV show as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And First Breaking, season, Breaking yeah. Bad's probably the only one, and I think that Breaking Bad's the reason that I don't look at other things, because I got properly hooked on Breaking Bad, and was watching it, like, before I went to work, watching it on my <laughs> lunch break, watching it when I got back from work, um, and you just sort of get totally sort of hooked on these things. So when I can, I watch a film, yeah, I do enjoy that to wind down, I think, more than probably because my work and the band is live music. Uh, I probably enjoy that more than going to see a band in my spare yeah. time, probably. Do you still get quite hooked on albums? Like what you're saying, they were getting hooked on Breaking Bad. Do you still find yourself kind of getting trapped inside an album? Can't stop listening to it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I still buy a lot of records and stuff. I find um, Spotify, in a way, actually 
um, makes me buy more because every Friday, it's a bit like when I was younger, I would go to one up or go to the record shop and buy whatever was out new that week that I thought looked quite interesting, either based on the artwork or based by the reviews that you'd read. Um, now I feel like it's like you playlist anything that might be remotely interesting. Like I always look at like the new releases on Friday and the reviews in Pitchfork and various sites and if there's something that sounds interesting I'll go and playlist it and I might not get to it for a couple of weeks but I'll um quite addictively need to go and check it out and then quite often that'll lead to me buying a couple of records um, within a fortnight of hearing it. Sometimes because it's something that'll sound really good on record and you think I'd like to listen to that at home and sometimes actually because I've listened to it so much on Spotify that I'm like I'm gonna buy that because I feel like I should give the band something, something yeah um, because I'm in a band I'm probably quite soft to that. That's something that's probably gotten a bit harder as well since you guys started out people were probably more into buying music back then than they are now and yeah harder to shift your stuff these days yeah i think so i mean we make our albums on record now and that's quite a normal thing for us to do and some of the older folk that come to the the gigs will be like oh you've got vinyl geez sort of thing and then they're like <laughs> do people still buy vinyl and like yeah it's kind of come back um whereas the cd things just died because yeah well vinyl's much bigger than cd taking over though. yeah and i think nobody what we used to find was People would actually buy... We used to sell a lot of CDs because people would want to give you something. Like, they'd come to the gig, it's never that expensive a ticket, and they would be like, kind of want to buy something, but not everyone wants to buy a band T-shirt. Yeah, I'd probably get a T-shirt when I'm at a gig. You know, so it's like, I, I probably would if it was cool, but um, some people feel a bit like that's an, a young person's thing, or I don't know, um, don't feel comfortable doing it. So they'll be like, I'll buy a CD because that's like giving you a tenner yeah. towards the project. But... Um, you know, and then they've complained in their car. Or I've seen people say to me at the merch stand, I'm going to buy this and give it to my mate, you know, because I think he'd like it. You know, it's quite yeah. an easy way. And what's a tenner? It's like two drinks these days. So That's why I like to measure everything by how much yeah, exactly. a pint and then yeah. just work it. So it's like a five or a pint now, so two pints. for. But but then I think what's happening now is cars don't have CD players in them. So yeah, um, And your devices you're getting from home are like Alexa. And, and we've got a, a, sound, a sound booth thing that we use for playing Spotify through. And um, I don't think... We've got uh, we've got a CD player in the house, but it's not like I can't remember last time I put a CD on. So no. I don't even know. If, it seems weird to not get them printed, um, going forward, and we set them out in the merch stand. But I guess it's just something because you've done from the start as well. It yeah, so odd not putting an album out in physical album. format. Did you do vinyl from the start as well, or was it just CDs no? The originally? first two the first two records aren't on vinyl. I feel like we could probably re we could probably do a press of the second one. I think there'd be enough interest in that why do why do you go for the second one instead of the first uh i think the first one's kind of like a learning curve and it feels quite old to us now i think the second one um was the point where people actually sort of started to pay a bit more attention maybe um and i think it's because that is like quite a varied set of, set of songs like there's yeah. like a ballad on there there's like an afrobeat thing there's like a pops couple of pop songs there's a sort of like um, summary pop song it's like 35 minutes long it's quite an, it was, and it was released I think I don't think it was released in the summer but for some reason it, we played loads of festivals that summer and the songs just went really well record, yeah. so people that do come and see the show probably appreciate those songs um, there's a couple of songs on the first record that we do get asked for but I think the second one I definitely I maybe prefer the first one of the oh, set, really? to be honest yeah. oh, right. I think probably say third record top mm. fourth yeah. second no fourth First, second. All right. My, well, that's good to know. I really like the first album. Yeah, it's right. quite, and it's interesting as well because you can see how it carries on, like, in the mm. albums that follow. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the songwriting is kind of 
simplistic and like a bit simpler in some ways, but it's so relatable. But then as you're sung, even on the fourth record, there are parts in it, like lyrically, where it's still, it's so simple in the way that it's so relatable, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's I mean, well, that, I mean, that's nice of you to say. I think, I think the, I think the first one, we had quite a long time to make it because your first record is always like that. It's like, it's just a collection of the songs at that point. And I think it was, it was recorded between Glasgow and Aberdeen. So the songs that were recorded in Glasgow, it was all, it was all fine. It was all good fun. But the songs recorded in Glasgow were of a certain level. And I know that the guy that we used in Aberdeen struggled to he didn't struggle but he said to me it's quite hard to get these to fit on one record both recording in different spaces yeah. and that's why there's a little bit looking back of disparity between a couple of tracks particularly towards the end of the record I think the, there's a couple of tracks towards the end that are not recorded as well as the rest of the record so it's like part of me often for a while thought oh, it'd be great to go back and redo them with like like I think my voice is better now than it was 10 years ago I think we can play better than we did 10 years ago but there's also a big argument of like records are a, a, a a time capsule of something at a certain time. I'd, yeah, I, I know. think I'd agree with that because it's it's part of the band's history. If you know, what yeah, I mean. that's so my record. Can I basically just capture and yeah. phase in the band's? I think evolution. to redo it is like George Lucas doing yeah. Star Wars, or you know, uh, the fifteen different versions of Apocalypse. Now it's like, what's the point? It's like just <laughs> leave it as it was. It's a sort of fun indie pop, occasionally scratchy, uh, occasionally really well put together um, collection of where you were at that point. Yeah, um, and you know, that's that. It's, I think so. Uh, I think the second one, I'm always fonder towards because there's less things I would change on it. Yeah, I guess when you have that personal connection to it as well from an artist's point of um, view, you probably... But I don't think there'll be a repress of any of them soon. But if money was no object, they'd all be getting repressed and everything. But uh, Or, sorry, actually pressed on, on record. But but yeah, like I'm like I'm really proud of like the song Don't Give Up So Easily and the song Chances We've Had. Yeah, Chances We've Had. What's really the one like that, that is it Small Talk as well that comes after Chances? Yeah. I love that song. That's Yeah, I think it's too. a good song. I think I think that's one that annoyed me because we recorded it and I felt like we slightly lost um a little bit of dynamic in it. Like I there's that's one that I thought was a really good song and uh, I had a demo of it and I feel like it's good and there's a couple but there's just a couple of things that it, it would change and it, um but those three songs that's funny that you mentioned that one because that's the three that people do say like oh you never play play that one do you still play Chance we've had or anything like no no no. I mean we played Don't Go Up So Easily right up until about two years ago because it's always felt like it's always felt to me like a bit like an indie single that just that didn't that could have done really well that didn't like every time we played it folk were like what's that first song you play it's really good and like when you're younger you're like oh that's going to be the song that'll be like on FIFA or something and that'll get us famous (laughs) and um I'd go to parties and like people would be playing it and I'd find that really awkward, but it's also kind of nice that they believed people in it that much. And resonate with it, yeah. Um, so that one and Chance We've Had were always like that thing that indie bands are popular for, which is upbeat. You can have a bit of a bop to it in a field somewhere. That That's what I thought they, those kind of represented. Um, so we did play them for a long time, but we haven't played them in a while. I'm not sure Scott would now be able to, like it was a different drummer that played those. Scott always tries to get songs to be slower. Um, it'd be quite funny ask him to play uh, 140 BPM uh, <laughs> indie banger and think he would be horrified. But we can ask. We can see what he says. Do you remember what you were kind of thinking going into the recording process for those songs at like the first album? You kind of your feelings looking back on it, like yeah. I mean the because I mean the band's been around for quite a while, and obviously like that first record was like 2009 so so when did how long was that after like the band had started when did you guys form and then oh god I mean like I I had a band when I was coming out of uni or going to uni or something and 
it kind of disintegrated and then re-amalgamated with various people quite a few times and at some point in the midst of all that we got asked for a name we called ourselves the little kicks but it wasn't a serious project um you know like the bass player god bless him still know him kicks about he was like a liability you know we'd like practices where i'd have to i don't didn't drive I only recently learned to drive so i'd have to go on a bus up and get him from his house and take him down and like he'd have a few things going on and um, eventually he just stopped coming and I stopped getting him. Um, so the project kind of went from being this sort of like, I think we had an EP launch, like the night of the EP launch we did, which was like way back. It was like, he didn't even turn up for soundcheck. We're like, I don't know if this is going to actually happen. Um, well, the then, EP launch that night. Yeah, just... it was like five o'clock. We're like, where's Gareth gone? And then he did come, but he was, and he was an amazing bass player, but he was always kind of a little bit out of it. And I think he would kind of admit that himself. Um, and I'm not slagging him off because he's amazing. He's a great guy. It got to the point where I was like, look, this doesn't really work for either of us. And I've met him a lot since. And he was like, yeah, I totally understand. So we were kind of doing stuff as the little kicks, but not really pushing it. And then I think essentially uh, the drummer, in fact, the drummer at the time, uh, because Gareth was being so flaky, went, look, because we were going out to practice and uh, waiting for Gareth. And then the drummer was like, I've actually got stuff to do. So if he's not going to show up, I'm just going to go home. And then me and the guitarist were left kind of like, this doesn't really work. So we actually ended up doing acoustic gigs for quite some time with a heap of songs. Some of which had been written um, at that time for the EP. And a lot of the, new, the stuff we were then doing was like ended up on the first album. So it was more of an acoustic project for a very long time. And then going to Exodus and like, Nights Out we met Lewis and Bob who joined the band for the first record and that was like a really exciting time because we were like, I don't know, young guys going out having fun, um, playing gigs and it was that that's time. kind of reflected in the first album as well. You can kind of hear that shining through a bit. Yeah, well, I hope so and I think we, we had this thing where we got like every support slot, there can't have been a lot of bands busy that year because <laughs> we got like every support slot under the sun. So we played with people like Future Heads and Maximo Park and um, it was that kind of couple of years where Aberdeen just got loads of gigs. You've which... done uh, like Foles and editors and stuff. Yeah, 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 we did Foles and Mishulu on their first Aberdeen show, and it was like three hundred people there. And editors was like a hundred people. Man, it was crazy. But did they editors in Aberdeen? Yeah, they played where, where they play? which is now Siberia Hotel. So it was, that used to be a venue. Yeah, it was downstairs. Was Lava before that? It was called Glow Three Hundred Three. There's a poster for it in Captain Tom's. Actually, you can see it behind the till, and I'm desperate to thieve it because I never got I have one but I've no idea what it was where it's gone in a box somewhere yeah um, but we did a lot of stuff quite quickly seemed to be kicking about and probably 2008 actually because that's when we did Teen the Park so I'd say the band really started like being an actual band that you'd think you know we did the Kooks as well and stuff about then and um, you know that kind of felt like we were on the track to be doing something that was not just mucking about yeah. in our in our practice room so that kind of feeling of optimism um probably went into doing the first record and uh trying to make something that was you know um a representation of our sort of party sort of set to an extent um but it seems like such a long time ago now that i'm thinking about it but yeah so the band the band is pretty old is it weird ever listening back to the album then with it being do you? Uh, when was the last time you heard the the first album? I actually was on a bus. Uh, I was coming back from Edinburgh, Glasgow, about six months ago or a year ago. I don't know why. I think I got new headphones or something, and one of the songs came on shuffle on Spotify, which I thought was really funny. Um, from Boxing Clever, so I whacked it on, 
And I was just like, oh, I've not listened to this in ages. I'll whack it on. And um, I think I was feeling kind of nostalgic because I have a WhatsApp group with um, the guys that were in that lineup at the time. And I um, sent them a message saying like, oh, just listen to our first record. And, um, you know, it's actually pretty good. Like, I think we don't speak about it much, but, and it represents that time. And I was kind of being a bit nostalgic. I was probably hungover or, <laughs> or I tend to be nostalgic when I travel. I don't know why. So, and they were like, yeah, like they were saying there's a few things they'd changed, but they were quite happy with it. And I was kind of saying the same, but um, yeah, that's about a year ago. And as, as we were saying, I think you either have to stop unpicking it and just go, that's of that time and walk away. Yeah. Or, um, or let it annoy you forever but it doesn't annoy me forever I think it was a really nice time to be in Aberdeen and young and um I'm not I'm not old but I was younger and you know going out more and living in the city centre and you know like the Dirty Hearts Club thing was kicking off probably just after that and it was like nice to be at the centre of all that and go to gigs went and saw the Claxons and shit disco and stuff on a Tuesday night and you know Mishulu and Hot Chip I think the week after and um, you know, go out till three in the morning and, and then get up and uh, be a, a, probably a, maybe not even a student, but certainly not working with any particular <laughs> career plan. And then that's kind of what that time represents to me. And it's only 10 years ago, but a lot can happen in sort of 10 years, I guess. Yeah, it's weird to think the last decade. What's yeah. Gonna, what's, 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 yeah. Gonna, what's going on? Maybe not for the best in the grand scheme of things. but Yeah, probably not best to dwell on it too much. How long does it take you know, you you kind of said there you maybe would just leave it now, but how long does it take for those things to start to niggle? Like, has that happened at all with the last record for you? Or uh, you actually, quite... no, um, no. Like, I think the second one. I mean, I, I feel like my voice is my voice is a niggle for me because I feel like it's there's there's days where I wake up and my voice is completely there without any effort and there's no rhyme or reason to it. I could have been out the night before, and um, it just seems to have a sweet spot. And it's yeah. there. And there's other times you get up and you haven't had a drink and you haven't been out and you haven't been talking and you haven't, you know, you've been looked after yourself that week. You've not really, you know, eaten badly and you've done exercise and you, cause you've got a session on the Saturday and you get up and go to do a radio session and you can't sit or you can sing, but it's not, but it's not it's what not, you want. You know, it's there, but you can't get to it. And I feel like some of the recordings on the first two records uh, would have benefited from yeah, I used to have really bad sinus problems, so that's why people say we used to, people used to say you sound like Coldplay. It's like we don't sound like Coldplay, but my vocal sounds nasal because it sounds a bit like Chris Martin. <laughs> and um, I used to really struggle with that. I used to have to like drink so, so many cups of tea and like honey and lemon wow. just before doing vocal takes because it used to be really bad. And just I went to Japan in two thousand and ten, I think it was, or two thousand eleven or something like that. Is that when you went with the band? I went to that? visit the guy that had drummed in the band. He left the band, so. The end of our first record, well, during the making of our first record, our drummer got a job in Japan. So the the band was actually kind of going to finish, but we had a few gigs to obligate, um, and that were going to be fun. And we didn't want to not do them because of Bob leaving. We thought, well, we want to do them, so it's his decision to go. So we got Scott, that's now the drummer, in to fill in, and in the rehearsal time prepping for those gigs we mucked about with a couple of new ideas that were immediately really interesting. We're like, oh, maybe there is actually legs and just... We hadn't, like, said we were stopping, but at the back of our mind, it was like, this is probably going to be the last few gigs and we'll do something else. And then we wrote a couple of new songs and that became the guts of the second record and we just carried on. But around that time, I went away for three weeks and just before I went to Japan, I was really struggling with my, with my vocals and really with my sinuses. And the doctors were like, yeah, you've actually got, like, a 
a like a pol like a polyp blockage thing. So yeah. like basically, if it doesn't shrink, we'll remove it. But that's like you can take a spray and you can take medication and that. But it, unless you remove it, it's going to keep annoying you. And they were like, try this medication. It's different. You've not had it before. And um, go on your holiday. And when you come back, if it's still annoying you, um, we'll 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 do it. But they have to like I think they have to like break your nose and like go in there. It's horrible. We won't speak about it. But I basically came back from Japan and for some reason it had gone. So I was away for three weeks. And Which was, you didn't have to get the... Yeah, I, I never wanted it. But um, I came back and it was like, oh, I can actually like, this isn't a problem anymore. I can actually breathe. Um, I don't know what it was. Um, and um, and I had like allergies and stuff, but they seem to have gone. And then and then in the last sort of like four or five years, I've kind of started looking after my voice a lot better. So the thing for me that's probably niggle is my voice. I think I look back on a couple of recordings and think, God, I could really sing that better. Or, or the knowledge that you have now. But never really yeah. about the the recording elements because you're working with the kit that you've got at the time or the person you've got at that time. So, you know, it's not really like um, you really want to unpick that and you make those decisions at the time based on your knowledge and experience at that time. So to go back and be like, oh, let's d destroy this song and pull it apart and put it back together would just be exhausting, I think. Yeah. You'd go insane, like Brian Wilson or something. <laughs> Well, you just released, well, or not released recently, but it was a few years back, the Smile Sessions came out with that whole... Yeah. It's really interesting to listen to, though, actually. Yeah, it's amazing. Is that the one that's... Um, the one that they tried to make and it, they just... You couldn't, you get, yeah, I think he, that was when he had his breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. And then it ended up becoming... So it's Smiley Smiley, you know, the record with the green cover, it's got like good vibrations and yeah, stuff on it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being in Brian Wilson's position where you make pet sounds and people are telling you that you're, it's not good enough or that it's not... It's... it's that, that are even they didn't like it like yeah. flat out, did they they just no it's crazy you listen, I mean okay I get it there's no there's not really there's three singles or something but there's like there's I get where they would come from but but I mean if you look at the songwriting on that it's, how, in, it's insane it's yeah some of the best songwriting yeah. of all time like I know God Only Knows and stuff like that and I don't know it's like um, it's not something that you want to really think about when you're like writing your own music you're like I'm not going to make an album like Pet Sounds it's like listening to David Bowie and then going to the studio is probably pretty counterproductive because you're like, <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good. Do you think you know if it's a good album though? Because I think it's Tom York. I've watched interviews before saying stuff that he knows that like Pyramid Song is a good song. Like he'll, there are certain radio things that even if people don't like them, he still knows it's good and he still, he feels okay about it. You know, he's happy with it. And Yeah, I think, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, because Radiohead, I love Radiohead, and there's songs I think, why is that on an album? What the hell is this? Yeah. And there's other songs I'm like, that is, as soon as you, I've seen footage of him in the studio getting really excited about an idea, and like getting, and it's like, and he's, he'll come away from the mic and be like, this sounds amazing, and like, I think when you feel that yourself, you've got to think, which does happen when you're writing stuff, you need to, you, you probably hopefully carry that belief through and think, someone else will hopefully feel this way about this too. Um, I think you can over labor it so you can work on it for too long and then you forget what the what you were trying to do at the start the original you know? kind of nugget of the idea so sometimes you're too and sometimes you're too close to it so you're like i don't think this is a particularly great song and then someone else um comes in and goes no that's your best song so that's kind of where having a band comes in because you can send something over and they'll go this is really good doesn't need any work like or make to help you make decisions on it. Um, I find that really helpful because I could go around in circles forever. Um, especially but, yeah. when like, the recording process is so contained as well. Yeah. Your, and think, especially for, was it your fourth album as well, you went up to the 
Went in the cabin. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, and that's quite an intense environment to do it in. But then there's a lot of pre-production before then, so you're kind of like, we're very lucky in that we've got enough knowledge <clears throat> between us, mainly through the other guys, to be honest, and um, that we can record pretty much everything before we go up and listen back to it and then go, that bit's rushing a bit or that bit's... Sometimes I think it's over-analytical and it'd be nice just to play, but then other times it does reveal... It's a time saver on other occasions where it's like, this song's done, let's move on. Do you know what I mean? Time in the studio is so expensive as well, especially yeah. when you're doing it all yourself and yeah. you know, self-managed. You want, to limit, you want to limit that happening in the studio. Um, it's like a luxury that we are lucky to have that when you are in the studio, you're not sitting analysing performances back for too long. It's you like, just try to do it and get what you, the take that feels right. In exactly, time. yeah. And I, th- I think there's a graph, there's quite a famous graph and it starts off and it, and it goes up and it's like take three years like your perfect take and then yeah. anything after that is sort of tails off again or take three and four or something and it's always true it's like your Maybe first you one you'll make a mistake your second one you'll probably make a different mistake or you'll or you'll still be getting your head around it third one you'll nail it but you won't feel comfortable because it's the first time you've nailed it but that'll probably be the best take sometimes not always yeah i think it's knowing all that stuff and remembering it when you're working on it probably yeah. helps you've never like gotten crazy in the studio and you know gone for a wild number of takes or what was the most you've kind of hit um I couldn't get a bit I couldn't there was a bit on the last on the third album where I had to do a disco pick and it was just did a did a ding dick a dick a ding for like five minutes and I couldn't do it. I got about a minute in and I was just like just couldn't do it. I just my muscle memory wasn't up to it. And I tried it for about twenty minutes. I was sweating and like screaming at my guitar and um Craig just leant through and was like We'll just loop it. It's fine. <laughs> so it's like so after at the point where I lost it, he just loops it. Um, I don't have the the problem of playing it live. <clears throat> Andrew plays it live, and um, I've noticed when he's playing it, he does look like he's concentrating like hell. So in my defence, I don't think it's that easy a bit to do. I think those are the parts that are really annoying. There's the really repetitive ones, you know, that like you think oh that's really, really easy. It's like yeah, but try playing it for six minutes. So like you watch LCD sound system. There's a guy just playing a cowbell at the back or a bell part or something and um, people are like god that, that guy's got an easy to job keep, but it's like actually that's quite time, difficult yeah. to um, to not break concentration in that way because it must just start to get so like you're so self-contained in that moment yeah in that thing to still have the perspective to know that you're like it must be so easy just to slip at a time like yeah a, I think a, your problem a bit. playing music's like for me it's like you don't think about it it needs to be that you're not thinking about what you're doing it's like running if you're running and you're not thinking about moving one leg in front of the other you know what I mean? Um, when you're playing and you're just your hands are moving, whether it's guitar or keyboard and you're singing, your muscle memory, I guess, is just acting on instinct and it's doing it. It's the minute that you start thinking, oh, is that the right chord? Oh, damn, I mean, I'm, you know, if you start then thinking you about it. it yeah. So that's where your practice comes in. I think, you know, you don't go running and think, oh, did I just put the wrong leg in front of the other one or, or think about it too much? Um, and like that's like the best, like I do a little bit of running to, to sort of, keep fit and stuff and I think the best ones I've had are where I've been out for 20 minutes and I've not thought about my legs moving in 15 minutes you know because you're like just in a zone kind of thing yeah. I think it's the same with music it's like if you start to think about what you're actually doing <clears throat> at the time of doing it it'll probably fall apart because you'll start to question it oh I don't know if this is right and then it's like catches you out but um yeah I don't think I've been too bad um the guys might disagree <laughs> I've always done enough takes, as many as it needs to get done right. That's probably a really yeah. political answer. No. 
right answer though yeah hopefully so when you went up to that cottage that we kind of mentioned briefly did you have all the songs then were they all ready before you went through the fourth album yeah so we were up there for um i think it was 10 days i think we left on the thursday night or something and we were there friday to the following sunday so five six seven eight days or something or nine days um and everything was the idea was we would be like set up on the friday and then hit a song a day so did you go in and have that first day? So did you convert like into a studio? Did you have to? Go yeah. In? So we drove up on like whatever night it was after work, or it might be rubbish. I think I can't remember. We or we left stupidly early on the day that we got access or something. One of the two. But um, the first day was literally just get in, move things around, and there was basically a two bedroom upstairs, two bedrooms downstairs, living area with a kitchen, um, and a bathroom on each floor. We basically converted the downstairs bedroom to a control room and ran all the cables through and the upstairs had a landing before you got to the two bedrooms so it was like a sort of like lockside cottage so it was all heavy wood so lots of really thick furnishings and tartan thick carpet you know like country house kind of vibe and um so it was really dead sounding and i have to say it was like i was pretty worried that it wasn't going to work but we'd all been in one for Hogmanay a few years before and Rockness and stuff we'd all at different times been to one of these places and we were all like yeah they are pretty cosy little cabin places and the sound is quite dead and we were quite confident it would work but we were also a little bit like this could we could get there and it could sound awful but Scott really takes the credit for that because he did a lot of research and he took things to dead in his kit in case it wouldn't work and things like that but I ended up being his drum coach yeah. the, sorry we're prepared yeah yeah exactly and like I was kind of like working on the music side it tends to be that I'll probably end up focusing on the music logistics of the songs and the other guys will be looking at the logistics of hotels or studio time or whatever that's it's always kind of seems to be how it works but but on this occasion it was like nine days back to back and I think uh, the drum kit was on the landing and uh, that was like in, I had like a triangle shape above it you know like a sort of like not the eaves but the, the peak of the house was there so it was quite a good sound chamber for the drums and bass and then there's there was like amps in the upstairs bedroom um, just like in between beds kind of thing and then Craig would be in the control room our recording our producer um, in the control room but we converted downstairs next to the kitchen and everything would just flow through the house it was just cables flowing through the house and um, if you were making anything in the kitchen you had to go and check if anyone was recording or not So it was because it was really small it was like you know, it's quite a small environment, but um, it was amazing because it started off as like a 10 till 6 day. So the first day was like set up the place, get a drum sound, you know, basically do some stuff. But um, the next lodge was like 150 yards away. Um, so you couldn't really go mental with drums at night. So it yeah. started off as like main thing is get drums and bass done during the day. Anything noisy during the day, certainly by 7 o'clock, kind of kill it. Because the people that we rented from knew what we were doing. So they knew you were going into... You know, yeah, you. and we didn't... We asked them and... But still, they were like, well, you're fine. We've put you in a lodge that suits that. You're not right in the middle of the heart of the place. But there is people in the other ones on certain days. So we were really lucky because the people that went in... There was nobody there the first weekend. So... But when there was people there, they were a family with two boys, if I remember correctly, who were like in Art Monkeys and stuff. So they came over and saw all the gear and like we gave them a playing the guitars and they were immediately like make as much noise as you want do you know what I mean so that was really nice um uh and me being a warrior I was concerned about 
we go all the way up here, take 10 days off work, and we get shut down after a day and a half or something, you know, yeah. so, but it ended up being grand and really good, and what naturally happened was you put five guys in a pretty small environment with heaps of music gear, some alcohol and coffee and food and stuff, as you just sort of start to gravitate towards nighttime. Yeah. So it was like 10 to 6, then it was 12 till, well, it was never till 6, it was like starting at 10 till midnight and then people would wind down and have a couple of beers and then it became like we were recording through the night just things started. like that do you find you write better at night as well like when you're back yeah you're probably i think i mean it's weird because there wasn't much just for the lodge thing there was no, there was no wi-fi it wasn't like you had the distraction of like someone phoning you during the daytime or yeah. you need to check your work email or or you're, you're checking my home or anything because you couldn't and um, but at here i th- but at home i would definitely say there's no distraction because you don't feel like you need to be anywhere else or no one's phoning you or you're, it's not pinging off in the corner. I think nighttime's always been quite a good time for me. I think your mind operates differently at night as well. There's something about it, like when you're in that. Yeah, if you've had a good day and you've switched off, you can concentrate on it solely. Yeah, there's I, nothing else in your mind. Yeah, I feel like if you schedule it and it doesn't work, I feel like I'm going to write 7 till 9 tonight, then I'm going to go and, you know, do an errand. It, it doesn't work like that. I, I don't think it's like a tap that you can turn on. I think it's like like I know Nick Cave does like a 9 to 5 at his typewriter all day really? um, apparently yeah which is amazing but I guess if you're writing words um, that way that would make sense because you're sitting down and you're processing something but for me it's like I kind of sit at, at an instrument and play and then the words kind of come out and they're usually first drafts either quite poor and I go back and fix them and make them better or sometimes the first draft comes out it's really good and you just that ends up being it and it's done and you don't know where it came from and then six months later, you're like, well, that must be about that. That's where that's... What sort of songs have been like the the first draft ones? Are there any you can kind of recall? Um, I don't remember ever really working that hard on the lyrics for um, Don't Give Up So Easily or something like that. It was just like... Um, and, and then sometimes you don't really know what it's about and you have to really think about it. Um, I think like chances we've had off... A lot of stuff off the first record was like that. It was like probably being younger not over analyzing it and just being like this sounds pretty good great let's go out you know and like just putting it down lately there's been a couple of tracks on the new record that we just finished that have been like quite per- like i've come out with stuff that's quite personal i thought mm, i might wrap that back a bit might try and make that yeah probably just less it's difficult though isn't it yeah. putting yourself out, out there, there for everyone to see yeah yeah because you're quite maybe not the right word but vulnerable like you're quite on display when you put yourself into an album like that and people listen it and they consume it especially with some of the songs on I think it's the last album there's mm. some stuff on there that yeah feels quite yeah I think I, th- I mean yeah because it's like I think at the end of the day you're trying to connect with people so I think the times I've been conflicted I've recently I've erred on the side of no I'm just going to leave it as is because if someone else connects with that then that can only mean um, that they might get something from it yeah. and that's what you want. It's like, you know, there's a lot of bands who have songs, um, you know, or people get in touch with them saying that song means this to me. You're only going to get that if you put something into it. And if you make it about nothing, then it's kind of like less interesting, I think, for you and to sing and for the person to listen to. So I'm kind of conflicted by that sometimes. I mean, like, there's a song on the last record that's very explicitly about Steve Bruce, who's our, who was our sound engineer that passed away. And I wrote that um, kind of based on two things. Someone that I know was having a relationship problems and they came around and talked to me about it. And after they left, I just sat at the piano and the first verse, you know, I wish I could say the right thing. 
um, just came out straight away. The first line came out straight away, and it's nothing to do with Steve. But then the rest of the song became about him, and I was like, I don't really know what to do with this. It's maybe a a bit too on the nose, and b is it something I want to sing about? Yeah. Um, I sent and I don't usually do this, but I sent it to Suzanne, um, saying. I think I was on a night out. I'm usually on a night out when I get the guts to send something to someone. Um, and she was like, oh, it's a really nice song. You need, you need to do something with it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll send it to the guys. And then I think they were quite, we all felt quite upset about what had happened. So I think the fact I'd put it into a song that we could use and it represented our um, feelings on that person who'd done a lot for the band, it would be weird for us not to give him a nod on that next yeah. record. Um, so it kind of, did that job but we felt well um and then it was probably the most heated song in the studio because of it i think because everyone was quite emotional about it it must be difficult to record that as well that was probably the one with the most pressure i I definitely put it off i think i knew the vocal was coming for it for quite a few days and we just bump it back and bump it back and then i think i wasn't that disappointed that the day i did it um the guys weren't going to even go and watch there was a pub not far away and they didn't use it a lot but a couple of times my United were playing or Aberdeen were playing or whatever guys would go and watch football and right, I think right on the, teams you mentioned there yeah well I don't support my United but I don't particularly know anything about football um, so I do support Aberdeen but in England I claim to support Liverpool because I was bought a Liverpool kit when I was a kid but this is a bone of contention in the band so it's best not to dwell on that to be honest <laughs> but um, I now Sorry, support yeah. them a lot because they won because they win things now but yeah, I'm joking I'm joking um, but yeah they would go away and I wasn't that upset they weren't going to be there when I was doing that I was like that will give me a bit of space but then they came back four pints deep and were like oh you know you can get a bit more get this and give it a bit more of that and I found that quite uncomfortable but that's where Craig sort of stepped in and said look and it was really funny because I don't think he could I don't think he knew I could hear because we had a talkback system going but sometimes it would just be silence and you're standing upstairs so the vocals were done upstairs and everyone else is in the booth not the booth. The... So you're completely isolated. Yeah, so you're upstairs and they're all in the control room downstairs to not make any noise because obviously with vocals, the mic, mic picks up everything. If you're doing guitars and that, the guys would be sitting playing FIFA with, on mute in the lounge area. And like, it was quite good because they'd be listening but also playing. And then they'd li- sort of sing up and go, sounds really good, and then go back to their game. <laughs> but with vocals, it was like, you all need to come in here because if somebody's made a cup of tea, you're going to hear it. Yeah. So they were kind of sitting in the room having a conversation about the vocal performance saying like oh you know it could be a bit more emotional and stuff and or I think everyone just wanted that song to be right that's a tough note to take though like just saying it could be a bit more like how do you get yourself into that place where it can be a bit more emotional and you can kind of get I think I think I think on that occasion what had happened was the song had changed a bit so um it had been quite a soft thing on, on demo and in the practice room and it stepped up a little notch to have drums on it and other bits from the guys. And then on the day of recording the vocals, Craig was trying to get me to do it more gently rather than me. We have a phrase called give it biscuits, which is like give it a bit of oomph. And he was like, can you just make it a bit softer? And then at the end, when you need to open up for the last minute, just open up a bit. But it's not even necessarily about being emotional about it. I think, yeah, I don't know. It's And that that is something I've, I struggled with for the first, I would say... And this is not a disrespect to Craig because we we didn't work with Craig on the new record we just finished, but the record we just did, Paul uh, that we were working with was really good at getting me to be a bit more passionate in the vocal booth, at the, at the expense of tuning, like not just thinking of, 
I've got to sing this sheet, you know, looking at the sheet going, yeah. I have to sing this perfect and um, it has to be right. Um, he was more like, uh, yeah, I like the vocal, it sounds good. Maybe give it a little bit more of this or, you know, you're really like getting annoyed about this situation or this has really hacked you off. And getting into that mindset of like, the vocals are performance that's going to draw you in. And I think performing a bit more because in the past they probably have been guilty of just trying to do what is in tune and what's it's correct. Not spot on, yeah. Which, you know, if you ever isolate vocals, you see these classic album shows and they isolate vocals. Um, they're not always in tune. They're not always that technically great, but they've got personality or they've got a snarl to them or something. Yeah. And I think we haven't had that in previous records. I think the last record's the best I've, to that point that I'd sung on, on, on recordings because my voice was in its best shape. So there's moments of that that I wouldn't, that I thought it was great and doesn't need to be changed. But I think a couple of the new songs we've been working on, it needed a bit more personality. And it is quite, I, I do really struggle. Like there was a song where he was like, you need to be like properly like angry on this one. And I was like, it's just not really my nature to be like that. But I can, we got there. I listened back to them now and I'm like, oh, you can actually hear there's a delivery there. So that's maybe something that would come from getting a bit of coaching or a bit of bit of training on that. But I never really, I never really had lessons or anything like that. Or yeah. So I do struggle with that a wee bit. I would say were you self-taught to begin with yeah I mean yeah. like I did like uh, p- keyboard lessons piano lessons at school and then I got to the point where I was like grade 4 or 5 on the keyboard and um, my mum and dad were paying money for lessons and I kind of was at the point where I was really into like the Doors and the Beatles and stuff when yeah. I was like 17 16 or maybe young, younger than that actually um, and I could play I got a book and it was like all of the Doors songs and all of the Beatles songs and I could just pick that up and play it and I kind of said to them I was like you know I don't think I'm going to go into music teaching or anything and this is costing you like X amount of money you know I was was kind of getting to that age where I was aware that my brother and sister were requiring things as well you know like my sister's a dancer so she would have had dance lessons and my brother was keen keen on football and various other things Were you the youngest or? I'm the oldest oldest? but I think I kind of was like Look, you don't need to spend 15 quid a week on my stuff. Do it yourself, yeah. Um, You know, I can kind of do it myself. I'm now writing little bits of stuff myself, so um, you don't really need to put me to that anymore if you want. And they were like, well, it's not it's not based on money, but it's your decision, and if you don't want to go back, that's fine. So I think I, I, think I was gearing up for grade six, and I kind of just started mucking about with things at home. Uh, and then I got a bit of music lessons for guitar. Oh, excuse me, seat. I got a bit of um, music lessons for guitar at school um, for a music class. You know, I have to pick up like a second instrument or whatever. But I mainly learned through tab books. It's like, okay, computer and the bends and, well, Oasis. Oasis book's the best because it's got, well, it's not got all the chords in it, but their songs are so straightforward and you know them. That you open the yeah. book and you're like, yep, E, A, D, G, C sharp minor, great. Then you can kind of play a lot of stuff yourself. So I think my guitar playing is pretty rudimentary, to be honest. Like, I'm not great at, um, I can't really I couldn't solo to save my life if you said solo I'd be absolutely like lost um, but I, I think I can, I'm quite a good rhythm guitar player and I utilise a capo a lot to make things more interesting but I think I'd probably come up with when I do come up with guitar parts I find they're probably they probably don't make much sense to a guitar player because they're not thinking about the easiest way to play it um, and that can sometimes be a good thing like Andrew in the band doesn't consider himself to be a good guitarist when he's really good because he's not had lessons. So he'll be playing parts and he's probably making it quite hard for himself because he doesn't know 
the technical you know way of doing it easier yeah. um but the parts he comes up with are a lot more interesting because he doesn't know the rules you know and i think if you know the rules you'll stick to them possibly sort of something you just have in you as well yeah yeah same with the ebus in there how you just managed to kind of do you definitely think it was something that's maybe a bit innate like that you had from the beginning like you were always musically inclined and kind of talented in that way or something did you feel you had to kind of work quite hard to kind of um i think come into it yeah i think i mean like i'm I'm lucky that my parents encouraged it like when i when i was very little that that organ over there actually we used to sit in my front room or my granny's front room and i was apparently fascinated by it and used to always sit on it and you still got it i've got it now yeah it's quite um, good. so um we're sitting in Stephen. It's kind of like your music space. Yeah, it's a little in. music space. Yeah. yeah, and it's quite a nice looking Yamaha. It's like a seventies pub organ. So yeah. my granny and granny used to run a pub, and I believe it was in the pub. And then my grandma, who's still here, but it said it was mine when the time comes, kind of thing. I think she needed some space. So and well, the problem was I didn't have the space. So I, now and now I have the space. It's in here, but um, it's it's I've acquired. It, I would say. And my son was actually playing with it yesterday, which was quite nice that he's now sitting playing it and I used to play it. But apparently I was fascinated by it when I was a kid, probably because of the multicolored buttons on it and the foot pedals. And like, if you're a kid, it's quite an interesting it's piece quite a of cool kit. Compete, yeah. Because um, it's got buttons on it and it makes a noise. You know, why would you not be interested in that? So apparently they spotted that and were like encouraging it. And then I got keyboard lessons when I was a bit older. But um, there's not like a musical particularly musical person in my family I don't think I think it's just something I apparently was fascinated by and I know that when I was a teenager uh, I used to be pretty obsessed with music I always had my god forbid my tape my Walkman or whatever you call it yeah. I always had headphones in and I always had music it was like to the point they were like you need to like I remember I couldn't I had a problem sleeping when I was a teenager for not even a teenager like a like a 12 year old or something and the doctor said to my mum, you could try music. And they were like, no, 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 we think music might be part of the, the problem. Like he's just... Well, you just couldn't... Just upset, just listen to music all the time. you just couldn't sleep. Like, uh, yeah, it was just a weird thing for like a... They just went and said I was having trouble sleeping. Quite anxious. I was quite an anxious kid, I think, for a bit. And they said, well, maybe you could try listening to music before bed. And they were like, no, no, he's always listening to music. I think that might be part <laughs> of the problem. And it, it kind of sorted itself. Probably just a growing pain thing. But yeah. um, I'm very lucky that they were quite encouraging with that. I would say. It's interesting that your son's getting into it as well now. Like, even at such a young age, you can kind of see he's fascinated. Yeah, well. and, and I know that people probably, I mean, I'm quite bad for just posting photos of him of on various instruments because obviously it makes me happy. But he's not forced to do it. Like, when he gets a bit older, if he doesn't care about music, that's fine. If he's into football or whatever, you know, we'll just sell him and, and get another child. <laughs> but um, he... He, gen- he genuinely seems to be like it's a really nice thing for me because we have jams and stuff and I come back from work and he's like he's got a little guitar and, and he's got a little keyboard and we play and he's started to actually sing bits and bobs back to me which is really cute um, and he loves watching Little Kick stuff which is obviously great because it's like so cute but it would also be nice if he found some other bands at some point but um, Is there anything you've tried to play him? Well, he's, he's he's watched our key session because it was on our box. You know, you can tape the record the telly, and he watched that. He watched that every day for so did quite that a while. Out live on TV. It was on BBC TV. Two. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that because I've watched yeah. it on YouTube, but I didn't realize. It oh yeah, well there. the whole thing was on BBC Two, and I taped it because I say taped it like a really old fossil, but I recorded it because I was I was out that night. It was on, and then it got repeated on Alba. So um, basically, it was kicking about, and we put it on for him just to see his reaction not because I want to watch my own band 
and his just mind was like blown. And since then, he's just wanted to watch it all the time, and he like does the moves, and he really likes a couple of songs. So he'll like now sing. He sings the start of you and someone like me, to me, and he'll sing. He's he's just discovered girl, and he's fascinated by that because his auntie Joe, my my sister's the dancer in the video, one of the dancers in the video. So he's fascinated by that, and he does like the moves and stuff. It's it's hilarious. I won't expose you to that when we go in <laughs> after, but I'm sure you'll meet him. But he um yeah, it's really, it's a really nice thing to have. Hopefully he'll be into it. Um, because you can have you can have free reign of the instruments. I have it's fine. They're basically his now. He's just currently destroying my Pride of Joy acoustic guitar. <laughs> I come in from work and it's like, I told him it was a magic guitar and it, it would only come out. It was a backfired. We said it's a magic guitar. It only comes out at certain times. But this of course only makes him more interested in the guitar. So that I come in and the, I can see the the latches and the case are up, and he's he's got he's tried to go into it, but there's one at the back he's not found, and I'm like thank God. But he's clever because I've come back a week later and the whole thing's out and it's like, oh my God. So there's certain things I don't let him touch. Um, but yeah, it's quite nice that he's into it and it'll be encouraged but not forced, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Kind of the same way that you were though, where your parents kind of encouraged yeah, you. But didn't yeah. It wasn't like, it anyway. wasn't like they were like, you need to do this or um, it was really good. And uh, I think I probably would have, I mean, I was encouraged to play football as well. I did play football, but um I think it became quite an easy choice for me because it was like, I was playing football until about, actually my dad was really into football. He was a football manager for a, an amateur team and our highlight of our childhood was going to the um, the weekend and watching the game that he managed and, and playing football side of the pitch and everything. And um, in Bankery, when we used to live in Bankery when we were kids. And I played football and I was pretty good at primary school level and I was like, I mean, the people, everyone listening to this from prime school would be like, no, he wasn't. But uh, <laughs> I was, um, I felt like I, I could have could have wanted to play for the, the secondary team and I didn't get into the secondary team. That kind of just ended my football. Like, yes, yeah. because it was at that age where it was like, oh, well, I need to do something else. You know, and I'd been doing music stuff at home and it was like, well, and my brother kept the football going. And I was like, well, he's doing the football, I'll do the music. My brother bought a guitar. My brother he didn't buy a guitar. He got given a guitar and he never looked at it. So I just nicked it and used it and, so these things naturally ended up being that I kind of acquired this equipment and was like, you spend a lot of time in your room as a teenager just mucking yeah. about. And um, I mean, I had computer games and stuff and I had some records and stuff and I bought the NME and things, but it was really music that just sort of, just sort of got lost in music a lot. And that kind of led to wanting to do all these things, I think. Did you guys, did you not get an album review of the NME as well? Yeah, the second album, which is pretty... That's pretty mental. Pretty mental, yeah. Didn't know it was going to happen. We... I don't really, be, I'm not I'm not religious and I'm not anti-religious, but I'm not that religious, but I do believe in a bit of luck and a bit of karma and things. And I think sometimes things happen and you're like little reminders of to keep going, you know, to keep yeah. chipping away. And I think that was one of those. It was like the last CD that we hadn't. So we were sending them all out ourselves, you know, and like Hamish McBeef was the last on my list and I didn't have enough stamps to do the last one. So I was like, I'll do it another day, you know? And then like, so I sent it at a different time to the rest and it's the only one that seemed to make it through. Um, and I don't know, that probably has nothing to do with it. But in my mind, you need a bit of luck. Oh, doubt luck. luck. Per, you know, it's perhaps he needed a review for that day. Was one short. I quite like, or genuinely quite like this. I'll put it in. But in my mind, it was like, and it happened with Six Music as well. We sent one to Namon. And it was like sent separately from the rest of the batch, you know. And it got used and she played two tracks. And you're like... Well, occasionally these, these things do get through, but yeah, I didn't know about the enemy thing. I was I was at elementary, not long started, I think. And um, 
someone texts me saying, oh, uh, well done on the NME thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I ran over to Morrison's and uh, bought and picked up the NME and was reading it in the shop. I think I even got told off for reading it. I think, like, are you going to pay for that? I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy five copies. Um, <laughs> and bought it and come back. And um, it was pretty exciting at the time. Unfortunately, it was like, uh, it wasn't like, oh my God, this is the greatest record in the history of mankind that you dream for. But it was a pretty solid, like... I was say, it was a decent review, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was fine. I think it could have been, if they'd um, destroyed it, then you would have been like, we've got a real problem here. We've just been destroyed in the enemy. And at that point, it meant such a lot that, and especially to yourself as a young person, you'd be like, the world is over, you know. But it, thankfully, they didn't destroy it, so... Yeah. Have you still got the copies from it? I probably do, yeah. I think I've actually got one in here somewhere. I think I kept one in my desk at work for like six years and then eventually took it home. Um, Is there a lot of stuff like that that you've kind of got kicked well, You can see there's some posters in here as well. From yeah, like so like gigs. I was saying to, to you before that the, the walls in here are pretty white and they were driving me nuts because I just found it like I was in an office when I was trying to write. And you used to have... Um, posters for the gigs at Lemon Tree that are like bus stop size and they they were just when I moved house they were in a, a poster roll I've never really had the need to put them up like why would I put a poster of myself on my house it'd be like the bit in Partridge where they visit in the guy's you know <laughs> spare room so I covered half of the wall in these things here just to fill the wall space and then covered the rest in sort of random posters and stuff um, so I do keep things and um, sometimes I chuck things out over time I'm like oh that's just not needed anymore but like um, like everyone that's come in is like, oh, that's cool that you've kept that. But I mean, I wouldn't put it up on the wall of my house. I would hide it out here, kind of thing. I think it's still nice to have that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I threw out a box of old CDs and stuff because it was like half finished demos and stuff that were like embarrassingly bad from like teenage days. It's still good to keep that kind of thing though. Well, I- my mate was horrified. He said, "Why have you thrown that out?" And I was like, "No, mate. I was like, you you didn't hear it." I was like, <laughs> "Do you keep anything from from gigs and thing? Are you quite sentimental?" Yeah, I think I'm a wee bit. I've got a box actually, so it's on my wall now as well. Uh, but it's got like all my like, AAA passes and all right, passes yeah. and all that kind of thing, and yeah, like backstage wristbands and all that jazz. I do keep like if I've worked a show, like because I buy records and I have something physical to put it in. If I've worked a show with a band and I buy the record, I'll put my my pa- my AAA pass because yeah. I work in music. So it's like Mercury Rev, Desert Song is one of my favorite albums of all time. They came and played Lemon Tree. I'd never managed to get Desert Songs on vinyl without looking at it and having to pay a shitload of money for it. And they were selling it for 15 quid at the merch stand at Soundcheck. I'm like, can I buy a record now before the doors open? Because I'm just desperate to get this album. Get it, yeah. And um, and I got it signed. And at the end of the night, I was working the show. End of the night, I got a set list. I did feel a bit fanboyish, but I wasn't bothering them. I was just, it was just weird. I was like hanging out with them, chatting about Aberdeen a little bit and at the end of the show I was like oh can I maybe keep a set list so I've kind of tucked that inside the records and I kind of figure being a sentimental old man later on I'll go to play the record and be like oh look you know and you if Cohen, Cohen's into it or whatever or, and, and be like oh you know I actually met these guys and look you've got the set list it's quite a cool little thing to have so yeah I, I probably am quite I'm really sentimental yeah I probably do keep a lot of stuff you mentioned the key session other that your son's obsessed with oh Is yeah that that was the same year as Tuts. Was that before or after you did the Tuts headline for Summer Night? Uh, we did the key session in like April uh, two years ago, I think. After the album was out. It's 2018, probably. And then Tuts was the summer of 2018. So, is that right? Don't know. So Tuts was, was Tuts just last year? Just no, in like... fact, April, sorry. April 2017, after the record came out, we, we did it on the key session, I think. 
I think, yeah, and then Tuts was 28. Tuts was last yeah. summer, yeah, sorry. So last summer we did Belladrum and Tuts and that was it. That was us kind of finishing off our gigs for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, the year before would have been the key session thing. So that, I think because I watch it so much in my own house, <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it is two years ago, yeah. Yeah. We have spoke a lot about the kind of stuff surrounding the music, but mm-hmm. there's a few music things I do want to get into kind of mm-hmm. more directly about it. Heartbreak is the first one that I've got to ask about. Okay. Did you have that idea for a while that you wanted to make something like that that is, has that kind of three parts to it and is that kind of wider, bigger thing constructed from individual pieces? or? Yeah, I mean, um, that al- so that album was kind of started by... I needed to write... A, uh, I was working on some songs and I went into demo Girl. No, in fact, sorry. I went into demo Better Things. I had better things in my head, like start to finish. I could hear the riff. I could hear the... The, the melodies and I could hear the feel of it and I went into do our band room to demo better things and on the way out of demo and better things was mucking about with a couple of synths and wrote girl wrote an instrumental of girl really quickly um so I had these two songs that was like that sounds like the start of a record that's this started and I thought they were both singles so I was like well that's me got two singles so what else do I need and I kind of wrote this um this sort of like I was listening to this Donna Summer record that's called Four Seasons of Love. It's a really cheesy disco record. I was really obsessed with disco for a while. And it's like, the songs are like Spring Affair, um, Summer Feeling, Autumn Melody or something. Uh, it's a really cool record, but there's four songs. They're all really long and it's about the seasons and stuff. But it's a concept record, basically. And I was like, that's such a cool record and like obviously there's a Donna Summer nod on the synth line on on Heartbreak um but I'd written the 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 crux of the song without it being a disco song on piano and 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 the the Nord piano and thought it sounded quite cool and then um it sort of just became this monster because it had like um certainly had like four or five verses and I liked all of them and didn't know which one to cut and I felt like every time we make a record, it's like, this is our last record. Like there's something's either happened personally or with a member of the band, or we've just felt like it's going to be the last one. And I think, uh, you know, that happened with the first one, Drummer Movement Japan. Second one was just a, a follow-up. But, um, you know, uh, that's probably the second one's probably the only one that wasn't like that. And then the third one, our bass player, Lewis, was moving to France. And we didn't know what we we're gonna do without him. We had a lot of bad members. Yeah, shift away maybe I'm him. not very nice, but <laughs> but halfway through that, it felt like, and in fact, Toby left halfway through the third one uh, because it wasn't really working with him being in Edinburgh. So halfway through the making of it, yeah, it was just wasn't really working with us being in Aberdeen and him being in Edinburgh. And we were recording Edinburgh, but we were we were always a couple of practices ahead of him because we were meeting up during the week. Oh, you did that one down at the depot, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. that was the thing. We were in in the depot, and it was and it was like this isn't really working. So we were, it was a bit of there's always a bit of. Um, what's the word shift or sort of something in transit during the recording process thankfully not for the last one and this one um, that we've just done but and my relationship with Suzanne as well I think it's pretty obvious the lyrics on that record was, was you know going we're now married and it was going fine but there was a few bumps in the road and things and I think you know Girl was effectively about that um, and I think Heartbreak was I was feeling quite vulnerable at the time uh, probably just don't know probably quite downbeat and I'm quite a needy person, so I'm aware of that. And I'm like, this is my way of saying, hold on to that. And also, like, hold on to that person you love is kind of a phrase of, like, just kind of, like, 
realizing what you've got as well I think I'm quite thankful for things that I have and that song became about lots of different things I mean there's a there's a verse in there that's basically about Dirty Hearts Club and how um I'd felt like I was you know I think the line's something about being on a throne and then suddenly there's all these kids coming up doing other club nights and you're you're old now and it was kind of about that and it was like going away for a wee bit and coming back to it and realizing that you've you've been um you're challenged in some way there's something a little bit about age as well growing up a little bit and thinking um you know you're not a young man anymore and now maybe a bit down on myself by that because i'm not exactly 70 but you start to feel a little bit out of the loop so it's a little bit about that and a little bit of regret about certainly part one is about um like i said there's a line about i wrote down all the things it was a bad idea but you feel better and I think that's what I actually did I remember being quite unhappy and like sitting writing down a list of things that were going on and thinking how do I process this and then I actually felt better afterwards you know and literally just things like that that were going on at the time living in a flat with Suzanne not really both of us not really getting on very well and working through it and then the band was quite hard work as well because obviously it was like you know um, try to write songs and be social and it's probably going out too much. I think part of my th- my thing as well was um, going out too much. Lived right in the city city centre, and like you know, our main problem was that I wasn't quite giving up the whole late night sort of uh, lad thing. Not lad thing, but just going out just all going the time. out every like, weekend. And yeah, stuff. and I think um, it's hard. Like I guess though, it would be hard to have, from the age of like eighteen to say like twenty eight. That's what you've done, and that's what you do with your life to then yeah. try and. I think it was just break that routine. And yeah, and there's a bit there's a bit of conflict in that and I think Suzanne's always been more grown up than me and at that time she wanted to, we literally lived in Rosemount and we'd come out of Sour 35 and she would want to go home and I would want to go to Drummond's and I would go to Drummond's and then go I'm missing absolutely nothing by going home. Why have I come here? Like okay, my mates are great and we're having fun but I don't I don't need to be here. And it took me a while to realize that. So there's a bit of so I think in the process of writing the album it goes from like fighting with each other and not getting on to like actually I'm very lucky to have what I've got and then by the end it's kind of resolved and it's like you know I'm sorry I'm so fragile I need a bit of reassurance but um and that's kind of where part three comes in is my kind of apology of saying um I can't really explain you know how this how I feel all the time I'm not always going to do the right thing but you know kind of saying sorry kind of thing so I think it became this trilogy thing but it started as just one disco track and then it was like quite cool if we could jam the end out a bit and make that like I like the Donna Summer thing where tracks blend on that record tracks are blending into each other and stuff so it felt like there was an opportunity to rock out a bit at the end so that disco sort of part came in we built that piece by piece so I really like Soul Wax and I know Scott and the band really like Soul Wax and that sort of synthy rocky thing um came back through that and we had to build it quite building blocky at first to get what we had in our brains out onto the page and then we had to replay it in and like because once we made it we could see what we we're trying to do because i remember at a certain point lewis and the band who plays bass at the time was like i don't understand what we're trying to do with this i can't hear what you're hearing so just make it and then give me it and we'll play along and then we made it and we were like that's a bit mad it's like a nine minute long song now so um, why you kind of broke it up yeah so we broke it into two and then it became like a really popular song live so we moved it to the end and made it the sort of like end of set wig out and that kind of came about through we got a couple of new synths or learned how to 
learned how to program synths as well. So it was like, oh, suddenly we can actually do this and have a bit of fun with it. So there's a, that's quite an indulgent track, but I feel like it opened us up to when we were playing a festival or something, we played it, everyone was just dancing to it and gets yeah. a bit of a chance to have a bit of a wig out. And then the, the third part came as an afterthought of, I'd written this song on my phone and it was called uh, Velvet Underground B-flat song for about four years. And I didn't finish it. I couldn't finish it. I had All I had was the verse about my feelings for you until about Oh My True Love. It's just this little two-minute little thing. And I was like, oh, that's quite a nice tag at the end of a record or something. And then I um, was listening to a lot of Beatles and suddenly wrote this Hold On To My Heart Don't Break It chorus. And I always meant to replace the lyrics because I thought, oh, that's too much like Heartbreak 1 and it's a bit repetitive. Kind but of then, like a reprise. And... Yeah, and, that, and that, that's why where a band come in and the band say, no, I think it, it naturally follows that and you should just make it. Because it was called Heartbreak 3 as a joke. And then it was like, no, like that you should just leave it. Like it's not a, something a lot of people do or... It works as a sort of concept thing. So we kept it, but yeah, that's kind of how that ended up coming about. And it ended up being this big Beatlesy ending with drums and strings and everything like that. So I was I was really happy with that that, that got done. But I think anyone picking up a record with, with Heartbreak written on three songs would be like, oh God, that's not going to be a, a party album probably. But I think it is quite an upbeat album across the board, generally. It's possibly a most diverse album in some ways in the sense that it goes through, like you say, that different range of emotions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like your discography condensed, not condensed into one album, but the the way your discography works, like you say, there is it starts off with a kind of party first album and it yeah. kind of follows you through your life and mm-hmm. the album kind of does it in a mm-hmm. microcosm in mm-hmm. the same sort of way. Well, I mean, yeah, it's nice that you got that from it because I think, yeah, I think it probably was quite a weird year. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what was going on, but there is like Modern Romance is quite downbeat, but then... What's that, the third song on that album as well again? Change, I think change, change. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah one of my favourites. Yeah, because that's a weird one, because that was like, I think if you were a record label or a manager, you'd be like, that's the single, that's a radio single, you know? Change. Yeah, it's like a really strong, piano, yeah. it's a really strong pop song, um, but we have a habit of making really good pop songs and then kind of ignoring them or, or just not using them. So like, I'd written that song for a long time, couldn't get to the bottom of it. And a few people have said to me, that's my favourite song. Why have you not pushed it? And it's like, oh, I don't know. I just, we preferred Girl because it was cooler. But then that's maybe part of the part of the thing. But um, yeah, I do like that song. It just kind of... Girl's a little bit groovier. Yeah, I think funkier, that's the thing. Yeah. It's a bit cooler or sort of slinkier. And I think that's always been our angle. But um, that's where someone else comes in and goes, no, no, you're completely wrong. This is, this is your single and sorts that out for you, I guess. Do you... Show the record to a lot of people before you put it out and ask their opinions on things. And are you quite the four? Are you like quite a committed, um, quite a democratic I, process just between you guys? I think it's really funny because we always say, "Let's not share it with too many people. Keep it to ourselves." And then all of us go out and uh, end up either having a drink with someone and going, "Check this out," or, "Or um, well, I don't. I know a couple of guys are pretty bad for it, but I'm 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 a little shy about it. I've never really liked listening to my music in front of everyone else." Like, I find it really awkward. We were out one night and Girl came on. I was like, oh my God, this is so cringe. Um, I'm better at it now because if it's something I'm really proud of, I'm like, yeah, great, stick it on. That's fine, I don't really care. Especially if it's instrumental, I'm like, great, I'd have to listen to my voice. But <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I would play... I, I, I always aim to, like, Suzanne will get the album as a whole. I'll be like, go and listen to this and see what you think at the end. 
as my aim. But what ends up happening is naturally she hears bits and bobs along the way, either me writing it in the house or playing it to check bits yeah. out. So I'd be interested in playing it to someone start to finish and getting an honest appraisal like that. But I don't think it would affect... I'm, I wouldn't be so fussed about getting it opinion off someone for... Because it's probably too late. It's like, oh, you should do this differently. You should change that. But it's nice when people give you good feedback, obviously. Um, probably send it to a few people that work in the industry and be like, what do you think the singles are? Or, or is there anything you think is, is the obvious track that we should open with? Or I think, but we're quite good at being quite confident with ourselves, I think, and working it out for ourselves, usually. But it is nice to get reassurance. So I, I, I feel really... I feel really scared when I send it to people. It's like send it to people, and that's part of my problem. Is I'm sitting there going, "Oh God, what do they think of it? What if it's terrible?" And we've gone down a rabbit hole of awfulness, and we don't know. Um, so there's maybe a handful of people I would send it to, but not quite yet. I'm still holding on to the new one. It's finished on my phone, and I'm like, I could send it to my mate who's really critical. I've got this mate who's like super honest. You know, like most of your friends will be like, "Yeah, it sounds great." He's like, "Track four is a bit crap." I try and I try and be like that though. Really. Not, not in a, in a mean way, but... Yeah, an honest way. If it's one of my friends and they send me one of their songs that they've written, you don't want to bullshit them. Because mm. you don't want them to put out the song, I no, just want my honest opinion on yeah, it. Yeah, and I, and I re- totally respect my mate for being like that. Thankfully, and, most of my pals are pretty good at music. Yeah, so. it's it's not so awkward for you then. I, 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 I get it. I think it's probably better than being Molly coddled. coddled. Um, I'm just not quite ready for him to destroy it. <laughs> um, I, won't, I, won't dis- like, I wouldn't destroy it, but I'll say like... I really like these two bits, yeah. but this is the one bit that I'm not too yeah. sure on or something. Yeah. But then it's difficult as well, because everything's so um, relevant to like, your perspective. Like One bit that I'm maybe not the biggest fan of, mm. you know, someone else I love. You know. Yeah, I mean, I well, I had a guy that I worked with that was I was really close to, and he's moved on now, but um, he buys a lot of records. So actually, the last record, the only person I gave it to was I gave him the test pressing, firstly, to check the record and say, does this work? on your turntable because I've checked it on mine but we'd had a real issue with Put Your Love in Front of Me where the record test pressing that came was broken it wouldn't play Um, and it cost us a bit of money to get it fixed and it was an issue and it was a really long boring story but I was really paranoid that we would print something and it it needed to be thoroughly checked so he sent me the record back with a page of notes and he'd said and he'd said I'll listen to it and give you some notes and he hated Goodbye Enemies Um, And he and he was like, hate but he was like, it sounds like musical theater. And I was like, yeah, I totally get how you could say that. But he's like, but he then wrote down like caveat of like maybe just not for me because then he loved like Band the Drum Slowly, but then like I know Band the Drum Slowly is like Suzanne's least favorite Little Kick song, which I will wind her up about because she she <laughs> admitted that one night. But yeah, so it's like you know not everyone's gonna think every track's amazing. It's fine. They can kind of deal with that. You know, it's funny when you get different feedback. It's probably quite useful. Yeah. Do you find you get quite a diverse range of opinions like in terms of what people's favorite parts are on the album and that kind of thing yeah i think i mean the last one i felt like um we'd hit upon a a good sentiment of of things with a few of the tracks it didn't surprise me that you and someone like me was so well received because i felt like it was a bit like girl and it was quite cool and it was pretty groovy you'd expect it from us goodbye enemies i mean i was felt i was felt pretty gleeful is the worst word to describe it but I was like getting married in the writing of that record. I was like gearing up to a wedding. I felt pretty healthy and like been doing a lot of like running and stuff. So I felt like quite upbeat a lot of the time. And I think Goodbye Enemies distilled that and was a bit of a over the top. Um, the idea was if the if the Beatles went disco, basically it was like a Beatles song but disco. It's quite McCartney 
solo McCartney was kind of unintentionally the vibe of it and I did, you mentioned that I do hear that actually yeah it's like the chord changes a bit like ringing the bell or whatever that song's called which I didn't know at the time but I heard it after and there's a song called god I don't know what it's called it's like wings it sounds a bit like wings or something when he's like doing the 70s stuff um which I genuinely didn't know any of until like the last year now I'm like every time I hear a song it's McCartney it's not the Beatles I'm like that's brilliant oh it's Wings and like you never actually... listened to play Wings before going into no, it. not really I now know like 1985 and it's uh, amazing I used to get I think I was about because I got into the Beatles when I was like 15 right okay and then it was when I was 16 got into like Band on the Run and that album yeah. Wings and like all kind of Lennon solo stuff as well yeah well I'm now I'm now fully on board with all the Beatles solo stuff but I probably was Apart like Ringo. Harrison yeah fair enough but Ringo <laughs> But like I'm probably had it was probably like more, probably more Lennon and Beatles, at the, at the making of the last record. And now I'm a bit more like I'm totally love all things must pass. I'm obsessed with it, and I also yeah, quite and that, I also now know John Lennon stuff's better as well. I think Harrison's first solo album, All Things Must Pass, is probably it's the best one of, of the bunch of I think. the yeah ones released after. Do you um, yeah? Is that your favorite? Yeah, I would say students? so. It was massive for me. I think a couple of bits on the new one we've just finished are, are got. A couple of things of influence from that and a couple of the arrangements but i didn't know that i was so indebted to mccartney when i wrote the good enemies thing it was just like someone pointed out to me after and then you don't always know these things when you're doing it um but i think that you know putting that together was i was quite confident that it was gonna be well received because it was so happy and i think i was in that place where i was like oh of course this will be well received everything's great you know and then and then um i was a bit gleeful but um yeah, like Don't Get Mad, Get Even and stuff, the guys really liked, whereas I thought it's like the last song I wrote for the album and I sent it to them and they were like really into it and I just felt like it was good, but I didn't think it was the song that they thought it was. Um, so it's good when you've got that sounding board of a band to come back to you with things because you don't always really know, to be honest. Don't Get Mad, Get Even as well is one of those songs that, when I, I remember when I first heard it, I couldn't believe that someone hadn't like used that line before. Like, yeah. It's such a good chorus line mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that works so well. You mentioned earlier on as well about with Heartbreak, the synth, when mm. that kind of came in and you started using that. Mm-hmm. How did that work its way into the band? Because I think I read before you said you never thought the band would have something like a synth in it. and then Yeah, I think, well, when, like there's there's these things that you're surrounded with just now, they're actually, so that's two of the synths we use. They're covered in blankets because it's winter. And and it's not like I'm tucking them into their beds like some weirdo. It's actually Get them a because, hot chocolate as well. Yeah, no, my, my wife thinks I'm mental. She comes and she's like, what is why are they tucked up? I was like, well, that one is the Juno, uh, sorry, that's the Juno that we've had since the band started and it's on, I know it's over, you hear a synth come in in the second track at the end, it's all over a few bits on the first record but more as a sort of pad, chordy thing and I've always used it but not really known how to use it Just properly. to kind of make it sound a little bit more whole. Yeah, and it's record. got this space that comes in, it just fills a space in between guitar and drums really well and so that's always been involved but that's the sound of Put Your Love in Front of Me essentially is that synth and then the last record is um, and there's also an MS-10 synth that's not here but it's a little black box that we use for Heartbreak there's all the mad noises so we acquired that and, and Girl and Heartbreak came from that black box synth that we acquired I'd always wanted one and basically there's become a bit of a rule of thumb of like if you get Steve a new toy he'll probably write some new stuff Um so I've bought stuff, but then um, written four or five things on it because it's like being given a new toy to play with that you don't quite know all the rules and you'll find something out of it. And so I really embraced that one for the third record. Um, 
and the, sorry just to finish they're they're tucked up to stop dust getting in them not because they're <laughs> they're children but um because they they're they're quite sensitive that one's not so bad the Juno one that's covered up over there but the Jupiter this new one we just got under the the other section is like a 1978 or something it's really sensitive and like really expensive and it's also really unreliable they're they're just like that's the problem we don't use them on stage because they're like a big part of the sound but they're just like you can turn them on and, and like it'll just not work or turn it on it'll just go like mental so we just got that one a year or a year and a half ago so is it informed quite a lot of the new records so it's all over the yeah so like i basically wrote um five i think it's on it's ended up being on nine of the i had to not deliberately because it was expensive but i was in my head i was saying to andrew in the last studio session i said you know that you know uh, jupiter is on nine tracks of the ten now so i think we've paid for it and i was like you know we have used it and he was like, oh, it's fine. I'm not questioning. Because the band bought that one. So, you know, like, we had a bit of money in the kitty and I jokingly put in a WhatsApp. Oh, if anyone wants to get me anything for Christmas, someone there's a, there's a Dutch site I follow that puts up these things. Um, and I usually just drool at them and scroll on. I said, this Jupiter has come up for sale. Pretty good nick. And it's, um, you know, uh, not a bad price. And the guys were like, well, do you think you'd use it or is it you know we should get it and so the band bought it and then i was like right the band have bought this i better write some songs um so and then i did naturally write uh five or six tracks on it quite quickly so um it's become quite a natural thing that we've acquired these things learned how to use them and integrate them into the sound but the that that uh jupiter one's a weapon it's like it's just crazy and not to get into like synthesis stuff because it's pretty dull but it just has this sound that you just can't get on a on a MacBook or something off of a, you know, these things. I'm I'm not great at technology, so I find I'll get the sound I want out of these much quicker than using a plugin or something. And that one is like, the Jupiter one is on five tracks and it's pretty prominent on two of them. And without it, they wouldn't exist. It's like, so it's been quite a good tool. And these things are good because they don't lose their value. So not yeah. you know if Suzanne asks we'll be selling it but we're not going to sell it um you know at some point well we'll, we'll sell them. we'll get them now and we'll sell them but we're not really going to sell them so might need um, to use it again at some point yeah exactly you never know you might need it so it's um and actually like it's, it's an investment as well to be fair exactly but someone said to me it's like having a vintage car it's like buy them if you've got the budget that you can constantly get it fixed or if you know how to fix it yourself then you're grand i don't know how to fix synths um so I need to either learn or get them serviced regularly because they do just stop, stop working. Yeah. But when they do, they sound incredible. So there's, there's been yeah, there's been a big push to get that. I'm just writing more on them because I don't know. As I said, I'm not a great guitarist. I don't know enough chords, so I get stuck on chords. I'm a bit like repeating myself. I find with since you turn them on, you find a patch you like, and you muck about, and you get a new sound or a new arpeggio or a new part, and you're like, oh, that could be something. And then I take that sort of knowledge of the piano to that and and work it out and go away i've got a piano in the house so i'll go into the house and play the piano and come back i've literally seen me flip between the house and here working on stuff and eventually go to guitar but i don't think any of the songs on the new the new record are guitar i've not written guitar uh, parts for any of it of course he's written all of the guitar parts i play guitar on two but it's like whaley noisy stuff um and the last record uh, I think everything other than Let's Get Lost Together was a guitar, was uh, was a synth. So there's only one song on the last record which is written on guitar. So I've just kind of naturally moved away from it um, and back towards piano stuff, I would say. So is that really what mostly kind of informs your sound is the instrument that you're writing on? Because with the last record, it's 
kind of sonically completely different to the one that came before it in terms of it <clears> going for that kind of 80s synth. Yeah, I think pop there was a lot of. I mean, we've we've all like like Scott acquired a TR8 drum machine, so he sorry, it's a T. Yeah, is it TR8? It's like a little rolling drum machine and stuff. So we're all trying to like. We're trying to make the sound more interesting every time and do something. There's obviously got to be a common thread from every record, because um, we're we're not a big band. But you you imagine like someone who's followed the band from the start. You're like right, there has to be a progression of some way. Otherwise, it's dull. If we just make Put Your Love in Front of Me Part Two and Three, I'm sure some people would be quite into that. But it needs to change in some way. Yeah. And the songs that need to fit in a set together. So the thing that anchors that is the way we play, probably my voice and the arrangement of the songs and the style. Um, but you can embellish that and change it along the way. So I feel like every album has been a bit of a step up, hopefully each time. And um, like the you know the guys have improved their setup. You know somebody's got a new guitar or someone's changed bass sound or tried a different sound or found a new technique. So everyone's kind of like bringing something new to the new to the table every time. Um, like the harmonies things now massive in the band. That's because Adam joined and he's he's. Um, been in the last two records this one and the last one and um i mean andrew not to dis- discredit andrew because he's great at harmonies with myself before i don't do i don't know about harmony so they're great at coming in and like making the lead vocal really sound great by just doing that backing vocal thing we'd never had that before um so um that's been a big addition to the to the band as well just bringing new things to the table and keeping it quite fresh i think Right, I think we're going to need to kind of... That's okay. Up a wee bit. But I thought we'd finish, seeing as it's, what was it, 14th of December today? Ye- yeah. Yes, yeah. So 11 days off Christmas. Yeah. we'd speak a bit about last Christmas, or oh God. rather the Christmas of two years ago. Yeah. How, I, I really like that, mm. that cover. Why did, when did that idea kind of come into play for you to do a cover of last Christmas? We, uh, what did we do? We, it's, I don't really, I don't really love Christmas. Like I have to say, I like Christmas. I'm not like don't like think I'm. I don't Scrooge. even know if I like Christmas to be honest. It's all right. I find it a bit of a stress. Like it's but what reasons I won't go into. I think it's, it's always just a bit of a ramshackle. It's depressing. Never gonna live up to your your childhood. No, Christmas. it's no, it's not. I mean, I'm more excited about it maybe now because we've got a child and he's not really aware of it yet. But he will get more excited than in, in years to come. Yeah, in a couple. So years, yeah. I don't love Christmas music. I used. To, I think it stems from. Like when I work, when I was like really young, I worked in a, um, I worked in a, like a, like as a waiter in one of these like bring a party to a party type things, for Christmas job, and it's just the worst environment in the world, it's like hell with Christmas music every day. You know, for three years I did it, two years or something, then I just got got wise to how rubbish it was, but um, I hate that Chris Ria song. What driving on for Christmas? I hate. I'm mellowing in my older age to not throw things at the radio. Um, but I can get through it now but for a while I just had to turn it off but the only song I've always really liked is Last Christmas I just think it's an amazing pop song and when you make a record you're like let's make a schedule of things we should be doing to keep this thing pushing along the way and one of the things was maybe we should do a Christmas single or something it's a really good idea actually and it's like yeah you kind of look ahead and you think right the album's out at this time there's another single at this point and not in a cynical way it's just more like what fun things can we do to push this and um, I was like well you know Scott's got a pretty good recording setup. he's got like what I've got here times a thousand he's got like actual mics and logic and gear and stuff um, we should do like a cover or I could write a Christmas song 
But then having had a child in August that year, I was like, I'm not writing a Christmas song, I have no time. <laughs> and it's actually really difficult. I think if I started now, I could get one done for next year. But I was like, I've always really liked the Wham one, and the Juno does a lot of the sounds. So we should just do our own, for a bit of fun, should just do a cover. Do a cover yeah. So we recorded the cover um, pretty quickly, actually. I think we did like, all the drums are like electronic, and all the synths and the bass are electronic. There's no guitar. There might be an acoustic and sleigh bells. So it's quite basic. Uh, and then the guys did their harmonies. And once they did the harmony, it was like, this is actually, we should definitely stick this out as a download or something. So it was all done quite quickly. And then basically they were like, we should do a video. And I was like, oh God, this is like growing <laughs> arms and legs a little bit. So our friend Scott, who does Home Alone stuff, was keen. And I was like, again, this must have been a follow on from my gleeful post wedding period where I was feeling quite confident. And I was like, I am prepared to put on a Christmas jumper and do some ridiculous stuff. Kind of and, like Aberdeen Christmas market. Yeah, and if you film it, we're going to make a video. And you, I was like, just take a day off. I took a day off on the Friday, two weeks before Christmas, round right about now, deliberately a Friday rather than a Saturday because there's no way I'd do it on a Saturday when it was heaving. And um, we had lots of really good ideas, but logistically, like we were filming Union Square and I was going to be like going up and down the escalators and doing various things and like, I don't know, just being a bit more silly with it. But I think on the day I realised the gravity of that. Plus, it's like I can have a beer for confidence. It's like It was like nine in the morning. Um, <laughs> so we ended up just, it's quite a tame one, but a bit of fun, just like being at the Christmas market on this mythical date that doesn't work out. I think the idea was actually the guys were going to turn up at the end and the, I was actually waiting for the guys. And that's the whole thing. And they would turn up and we would walk off. But um, we just ran out of time. There was a night they were going to film. I took all the gear like the Christmas jumper and what I'd been wearing to another night out and they were going to walk along the edge of the bridge and we'd meet and um, Scott couldn't do it and one of the guys couldn't do it and it was like, let's just print it with the way it is. So it's kind of funny because it went up and uh, it's had like, it hasn't had much, it's had like 900 views or something, which kind of suits me fine because I don't want people in the office to get wind of it. Or for example, I don't want, and my son watches it and thinks that that's a little kick song. So when it comes on and elsewhere and George Michael's singing it, he says, why the singing daddy's song? And it's like, if I wrote that song, then I don't think we'd be, <laughs> we would be living in LA or something. We wouldn't be living in Newborough because um, it's a massive global hit, mate. So, you know, unfortunately it's not my song. But yeah, I re it's like, I really like it. It's the only Christmas song I would happily listen to probably all day. Maybe the McCartney one, actually. It's quite good. What's Wonderful Christmas time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I like the Elton John one as well. Step into Christmas. Oh yeah. Okay, so maybe actually there is a few good ones. You've got to be in the right mood for it. Yeah. I came home, I felt this one, I got smacked in the face by Christmas. Or last night. Because I just got into Aberdeen, down the flat in Edinburgh. Yeah. No decorations, nothing. Got home last night, came into the family home. Done. Tree, stuff yeah, everywhere. all up, yeah. No. I'm getting there. I'm working in HMT now, so the panto is on every day. So it's kind of infectious. There's all these children coming in excited for the panto. And, and my son's got an advent calendar for um, for the first, not chocolate, like it's a toy one. And it's that does kind of gear you into the idea of something's come in, it's the holidays and stuff. So I'm getting there, but I'm like, I wouldn't say I'm more than 48% Christmas spirit at the Ready moment. Ready for Christmas. Yeah, I'm, get, I'm getting there. By the end of today, I'll be 50, but I'm kind of <laughs> gr gr gradually sort of like increasing. But um, Once you've seen Primal Scream tonight. Yeah. That'll get you there. Hopefully, I'm not sure they'll do, they'll do a Christmas song, but we could see. Christmas cover, by yeah. Perhaps. But yeah, thank you very much for this. No worries. It's been nice to chat. Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely. But uh, 
Yeah, cheers. No worries. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.